Hi, everyone, and welcome to Consumer Watchdog's Rage for Justice Report, our weekly conversation about the current issues we're exposing, confronting, and changing. This week is Black Maternal Health Week, uh, a week launched four years ago by the Black Mamas Matter Alliance to raise awareness of the crisis of Black maternal and infant deaths and uh, amplify the voices of Black women and families who are fighting for equal treatment in the healthcare system and more broadly. So my guest this week is a leader in that fight. I'm so uh, pleased to welcome Norbezi Flint to the podcast, the executive director for Black Women for Wellness Action. Welcome, Norbezi. Hello. Happy to be here. Thank you, Fanny. So glad to have you. So you direct um, the environmental uh, and reproductive health work for Black Women for Wellness. I know you have a broad depth of knowledge on all things related to women's health. So I'm, I'm really glad uh, to have you here pretty much pretty much anywhere people are talking about building power, reproductive justice, racial equity. I, I know that you have a hand in that struggle, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I think we should probably start at the beginning, which is um, talking just a little bit about why this is Black Maternal Health Week um, and the crisis in preventable maternal deaths. Yeah, um, so Black Maternal Health Week started a couple of years ago, or a few years ago, um, like you had mentioned, and it was really a conversation around two things. One, the rising crisis that we have had with Black maternal deaths in this country. The U.S. in general has maternal health, maternal death rates that are higher than any other kind of high-income a country that we have in the world. Um, and then when it comes to Black women in particular, we're about three to four times more likely to die. And so we're looking at numbers that are astronomical compared to other countries that are in similar positions. And there wasn't a lot of conversations around it. And so we wanted to have a conversation and bring awareness to what is going on that is a, a complete and other egregious health disparity, something that we know how to fix. Um, we just have to have the kind of gusto and uh, determination as a country to do that. The other piece is that we wanted to think about what does it look like to change the conversation around how do we have birthing, um, let's say, not practices, but birthing stories and narratives and experiences that are full of joy and that folks are uh, thriving in, right? And so this week started by Black Mamas Matter is a week to draw attention to both the conversation, the disparities, but also the possibilities and the joy that people can have if we took the right steps to move towards, um, you know, happy, uh, good policy around Black maternal health and maternal health in general. Right. At the, I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's um, an obvious thing that this is supposed to be the happiest time in anyone's life. Um, and to have this, this cloud of what I think is really important to note, preventable deaths and preventable deaths that are so, falling so disproportionately on Black mothers, and I would add Native American mothers to that, who are also experiencing mm -hmm. much higher death rates, um, is 
unacceptable. So um, I'm so I'm so glad to be able to have you on the show to talk about this issue right now. Um, <clears throat> and April's a month where um, things really start heating up in the legislature in California. Um, we talked last week about a different uh, patient safety measure that was moving through the legislature, and uh, I wanted to keep that moving. I know that you've been working uh, closely with an alliance of organizations here in California to move uh, what's been dubbed a momnibus bill uh, through uh, through the uh, state legislature here in California. So what are the big issue areas, the the areas of focus that are in the bill that you've been working on that you think are really going to move us both to that place where we're preventing uh, these maternal deaths that should never have occurred and also adding that element of joy back uh, back into uh, into the process of birthing? Yeah, and so I just want to first start that our bill, our little California monobus bill, which is actually more than little, it's different than the, <laughs> the federal bill, um, that's the black monobus bill, even though we did, we still we stole the name because we thought it was fly, um, that uh, <laughs> Representative Adams and Representative um, Lauren Underwood had introduced. And we looked at the pieces that were moving federally, but also wanting to have a different conversation in California, because we know that, one, we could move a little bit faster here at the state level, and that um, that we still have some disparities that we need to close. And so this California Mama Bus Bill, introduced by Senator Skinner, has seven different pieces. I will run through them quickly because you can ask me questions about any of them. Um, but the first piece is codifying and expanding the powers and protections for the California Pregnancy Associated Mortality Review Committee. And so this it would be establishing an NMRC, or Maternal Mortality Review Committee for California. A lot of folks don't realize that we don't have that codified into law yet. We kind of outsource our, our data. And of course, we have, unlike other states, we have been able to reduce those rates, but we actually don't have any data and haven't had any data about what our maternal mortality looks like since 2015. And on top of that, um, out of this program that is run out of the California Department of Public Health, we've only gotten two reports since 2006. And so we wanted to make sure that we are updating um, the, the, the data piece of it. We we're wanting to make sure that we're building an accountability and also making sure that if, you know, DPH decided that they don't want to do this anymore, that we have a piece of legislation that says we need this as a piece of legislation. We need this committee and we need to be taking maternal death seriously in this state. The that other says they have that, to do it, right? Yeah, I mean, so I, and I, I, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I have, you know, had reason to um, use these numbers many times in our work, and I'm always um, surprised that the data is so old. Um, so codifying it, putting it into law that we must collect data on uh, these deaths and the reasons for them, I think, is so critical uh, when we're seeing, you know, uh, both pockets and, and statewide. Um, increases in, in, in deaths. So that's great. Yeah, I think we were there too, kind of like, wait, we are a fancy state and we don't have any data for the last eight years. What's going on? Right. Um, so, 
And then uh, quickly um, for that piece, um, one of the things that we did add, which is a little different than what some of the stuff that's been going on nationally, is making sure that we have data on queer, trans, and, not, and gender nonconforming birthing outcomes because we don't have that as a space. And also looking at the impact of global warming and pregnancy outcomes because there was a huge report that uh, was released last year that showed that uh, pregnancy and climate change have some really interesting consequences. And then we wanted to add that the, that we are making sure that we are making recommendations on racial and social economic disparities that we're seeing in our state. And so that's not something that we will go on ignoring or being okay with as a state. And so that's the first piece of it. The second one is to provide full-spectrum doula care to all pregnant and postpartum people. And so about half of the births on this state are um, Medi-Cal folks. And so we know that doulas have been helpful in reducing the amount of neonatal or um, preterm births and um, babies ending up in the NICU, as well as cesareans, and also helpful to have someone to advocate and help you advocate for the birthing plan that you need or want it. And so doulas give that space. And so we wanted to actually also have that ability um, for anybody who's on Medi-Cal to have that uh, access for them. And this would be super important. We would be only maybe the fourth or fifth state to uh, get this for our pregnant people. And again, um, this will be a huge amount of births in the state. So there's about somewhere between 350 to 500,000 births in the state and half of those again are on Medi-Cal. The third piece is something that is a little innovative. Um, so we wanted to have a pilot project that was looking at how do we start addressing some of these social economic pieces. And so we are putting a pilot project in for um, a guaranteed income for people who are on CalWORKs. And what it does is that will give somebody um, a guaranteed income of at least $1,000 a month from when they're six months pregnant and to the child is two years old. And put that in perspective, to be on CalWORKs, most folks are making 60% of the federal poverty line. So this is not even what's going on in our state, but the federal and a high cost state like California. And so this would be, if we get it through, one of the first times that we would have a guaranteed income project that is completely state run and not with a state a kind of public-private partnership that other, um, or, what do I say, like pilot programs have done before, um, even the ones in our state. And we know Is, that from the pre oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask um, because the one uh, the one effort uh, for a universal basic income I'm familiar with in California is the effort that um, happened in the pilot program in Stockton. Um, is that an yeah. example of one that was a public-private partnership that you mentioned? Yes. So there's one in Stockton, which is a public-private partnership, and there's another one in San Francisco that's starting up that's a public-private partnership as well. Um, and the pregnant, um, the one in San Francisco was for pregnant people as well. Mm -hmm. um, this would take kind of the San Francisco model and put it all the way through the state. <laughs> um, 
And one of the things that we've seen from research when it comes to pregnant people and guaranteed income, and we looked not only in our country but internationally, is that when you give folks the money and the resources, they're able to make the decisions that they need for their uh, that's best for their family. So whether that's paying rent are paying a gas note, are buying diapers, are having to buy all the things that you need to buy in order to take care of baby, um, that they're able to do that, particularly when there's no stipulations that says how you need to use this money. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Um, Most people know what they need to do. Um, So the fourth piece is actually another piece looking at CalWORKs programs. And this is one trying to take some archaic uh, rules that we have. And so if you're in CalWORKs, there's some pieces that you still have to do that kind of show that you are working um, in order to keep getting funding, right, the welfare to work pieces. And so we're saying if you are pregnant, that we could suspend those pieces um, and that you're able to still get your funding and then also raise the funding of what it is that you're getting. So unfortunately, in CalWORKs, you get an extra $47 a month um, for a a new baby. Um, And so... And that that happens during your pregnancy. And so we decided to raise that to, I think it's about $86. So it's not a whole bunch, um, but it's a little bit extra during the the pregnancy period. And also be able to have that continually have a COLA or essentially a cost of living increase. So they're revisiting it every year to make sure it's in line with the cost of living in California. Well, and all of this... Uh, well, just, I mean, I, I just think it, it's a critical thing to point out that, you know, these last couple um, policy pieces are going at the socioeconomic uh, contributors to poor healthcare outcomes, right. right? That it's not just, you know, your six uh, prenatal visits that are going to determine uh, the, the health of you and the health of your baby, but um, all of the other things that contribute to the health of you and your community. So, really um, innovative ideas. I love it. Yeah, I think one of the things that we wanted to be sure of, because we know there's a lot of different things um, and comorbidities that happen um, that we need to be concerned about with pregnancy. But what kept coming up from community is that folks actually just needing some more resources and knowing that those first precious years of uh, infant's life as so important to make sure that there's some some type of stability there. And that can have consequences, whether it's premature birth and our very low birth weight to both the parent and and a birthing person and um, the child for years to come. And so if somebody is stressing about where, you know, their like next meal is going to be, or whether they're able to pay their bills, or where they're going to live, you're not probably having the best pregnancy experience. And so the last, the last couple of pieces is one that we're super excited about, and we're excited about everything, but super excited about this piece, which is building the midwifery workforce. And so right now, California has three midwifery schools, two nurse midwifery, and one direct entry certified licensed midwifery program. 
And so there's a ton of people who are wanting to get into midwifery school. And California actually has a bit of a crisis right now in the sense that there are nine counties that don't have any OBGYNs. And there are several counties that are fastly running out of OBGYNs in the state. And we know that midwives not only have really good birthing outcomes, when it comes to having healthy birthing or healthy babies and healthy parents, um, we also know that there are um, more folks who are really wanting to go into the midwifery area. So this is a program that actually gives money to the programs that are conducting midwifery schools where they can target underserved communities, people who are not um, in their communities so far. So looking at Black and Latino folks, pulling them in, and then making sure that they get placed in communities that are underserved. And so we're really excited about this piece of being able to expand midwifery services, and particularly in a state that has um, uh, some gaps in midwifery care and obstetrician care in general. The last two pieces is one that we wanted to um, update the protocols for the fetal and infant mortality review committee. That is uh, what is better known to us in the public health space as FEMA. And this is something that um, we wanted to do a couple of fixes to. Um, this is what looks at infant and death. So this is full-term infants, um, whether they die of a stillbirth or die within the first year of birth, after birth. And most and the program the investigates the cause, the causes of those losses, correct? And, and yes, but yeah, okay. the way it's not been investigating it as of recently, it's been just looking at the data. Got and it. we know that sometimes the data doesn't share all the story, right? So it doesn't share if um, mom got turned away and was said that, you know, she was feeling some type of way or she was in pain and was told to stay home. Um, it doesn't share uh, the information of like, well, was there anything else going on in your life at the moment? Did you spend, did you like have homelessness or, you know, all those other pieces? And so we wanted to make sure that those conversations, the narrative conversations are super important and a part of the senior process where we can have a better understanding of what are actually causing those deaths and how to prevent them. And like right at this, the way the data kind of looks now is very often seen that it's blaming the parents, right? The birthing person for the death of like, well, this person was obese or they had a, you know, hypertension or, you know, something else. Uh, they had gestational diabetes. So of course their baby died. And that's not the case. We figured out how to fix these things and move through these things. Right. But, and that requires a deeper conversation. Missing um, the real causes. Yeah. Yeah. And our last piece is just the extending of postpartum benefits to 12 months um, for folks who are on Medi-Cal. And that is um, something that has happened during COVID. And we're just continuing that, hopefully, for the, for the duration. Right now, if you're in California, um, and if it wasn't COVID, 
um, is you would need a mental health diagnosis in order to stay on Medi-Cal for more than 60 days. Um, and so, and what happens is, is that if you're pregnant, you um, are able to qualify for Medi-Cal sometimes when you're, because uh, there's a higher income like, cutoff than when you're not pregnant. And so as soon as you're not pregnant, some people get kicked off in those 60 days. And we're like, let's, let's make sure we get the full year, <laughs> particularly because of so many of the, the deaths, the postpartum, or the, me, the maternal deaths in California happened in that postpartum period between like, you know, the three to six weeks after people give birth. Right. And that 60 day, that 60 day uh, cutoff is no magic number. It doesn't mean on the 61st day, all of a sudden those moms don't need care any longer. Right. Well, so it's, it's a, it's, it's a big bill, uh, but all such, such important, really critical reforms to help, uh, the the health and uh, health and safety of not just black moms but black moms across or but moms across California, uh, no matter uh, no matter their race. Yeah, um, the way we look at it is that if you center on helping the folks who are the most um, impacted by the mortality rates, so looking at black women and indigenous women, that everybody gets to benefit from those pieces, right? Um, but we got to make sure that we're centering the folks who are like, to take from Ayanna Presley, uh, closest to the pain, um, so that we are making sure that we're taking care of those folks as well as the rest of our birthing community throughout the state. Well, really important too, at getting at the root causes of, um, of, uh, some of these preventable, uh, losses and getting away from a system that simply, blames moms for not being, not being in the right health or, or not being in the right position, uh, socioeconomically, um, but getting to the root causes of some of these problems. So I love it, Norbezi. I'm so glad. And, and, um, the news of course, is that, uh, the bill passed out of its first committee this week. It did 11 to zero. So we got a, a unanimous vote. We were very excited about it and we're off to human services um, where we hope to get another unanimous vote, but we might not be so lucky. Um, so yeah, we're we're trudging along, but we need all the help that we can get and all the folks to make sure that they, you know, tell our legis- state legislators that this is important and that they want to see um, good maternal health, excuse me, good maternal health quality in our state. Absolutely. Well. I would be remiss uh, during Black Maternal Health Week if I didn't also bring up another systemic problem that disproportionately impacts women women of color, and that's California's outdated law that caps compensation when a mother loses her life or a child's life is lost during childbirth due to medical negligence. Um, that cap prevents families from getting answers or accountability in court when they're harmed, and it's an issue that we're working on with uh, advocates for Black maternal health as well. Um, um, it's the topic of the ballot initiative that our listeners have heard a lot about and that we're uh, working on with a man who needlessly lost his wife after she gave birth to their second son. So these issues really hit close to home for us. Um, really appreciate your great work uh, on all of these issues, Nervesi. Yeah, I'm super excited about this bill. I'm excited to see what happens with the proposition because they're 
even though with this bill we hit a lot of pieces, there's so much other things that we didn't hit on that is also needed in um, to reform maternal health and what it looks like in our state, um, including how to really tackle racism. And so um, we are excited to uh, partner and see um, what the future holds. And so thank you, thank you, Carmen, for having me on today. Absolutely. What's your website if uh, if our listeners want to learn more? Yeah, it is www.actionproject.org. So it's letter B as in boy. I don't think people know WW. I was like, is there something that is, W is in water? There you go. Actionproject.org. Yeah. Oh, and women. There you go. Because it's black women. <laughs> Black Women for Wellness Action Project. So yes, www.actionproject.org. <laughs> or you can catch us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, but we're not on it as much as we should be. And then if you want to hit our C3, it's www.la.com. Great. Well, uh, again, thanks, Norbezi. And thanks, everyone, as always, for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe at Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carmen Bulber, and this has been the Rage for Justice Report. Thanks for listening.